Gracious God, you are the giver of all of the good gifts in our lives. We praise you for your provision and we ask that by your spirit you would open our hands to be generous people so that all people may know of your mighty acts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as Colin mentioned, there's a bit of a, a change of plan for, for this evening. Uh, and we're going to be dwelling in Psalm 145, which if you've been at any uh, services that I've preached that over the last few weeks, you'll be starting to get familiar with. So uh, hopefully there's some fresh insight as well, even if some things are underlined. Uh, sometimes when I find I'm preaching on the, the, the same passage a number of times, it's because God really wants me to, to be clear about something. So maybe that's the same for you uh, hearing things too. And I want us to see today how this psalm shows us how our God provides and our God invites. Uh, if you have that psalm, you'll need the psalm open in front of you. It won't be on, on the screen. And if you, it's page 631 in the Church Bible. If you look at the footnote at the bottom of the page, you'll see that it says it's an acrostic poem. The verses of which begin with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So this psalm is a hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord in Hebrew. It's a hallelujah from beginning to end. Praise the Lord. We can praise the Lord in the A to Z of our lives. It gives us reasons why, whatever our lives may hold, we can praise the Lord from A to Z, from head to foot. And we hear this call it's, even, it's more than a call, it's a determination. Did you, did you spot that as it was read? Verse 1, a psalm of praise of David. Verse 1, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. As human beings, we are wired for worship. We're, we're created in order to worship someone or something. But it's only God, only the Lord that is worthy of that worship and praise. Only God the King is worthy to be exalted. Exalted means to lift up. And it really, as I've looked at this psalm over the last few weeks now, it's been that phrase at the beginning of verse 2 that has stood out to me. Every day I will praise you. Every day. Through thick and thin, when you're striding across the mountaintops, and we're, when we're deep in the dark, lonely valleys, and for perhaps most of the time when we're just walking through, as it were, the ordinary streets of life, there's still that sense of determination, I will exalt you, I will praise you every day. When we think of praise and worship, our minds probably turn to the kind of thing that we're doing now, gathering together for worship on a Sunday. And that's right, that's good. It's essential that we gather together as God's people at the start of the week. That's good for us. And our gathered worship, whether it's in the morning or in the evening on Sundays, it inspires, it replenishes, it equips us for all that we encounter in the week. We gather together and the Lord picks us up. He puts us back on the road to walk with him. He recalibrates our hearts that have been wandering off. And all of that is for our worship every day of the week. 
not gathered here, but scattered across the city and beyond in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, universities, clubs, neighborhoods. Worshipping transforms our everyday actions. And that's in all things, not just here on Sundays, not just in the really easy times or even in the really difficult times, but in all circumstances. And we're going to watch a short animation now that explores that relationship between our worship here today on Sunday gathered together and our worship throughout the week scattered throughout the city. So turn your eyes to the screen. Head down, grit teeth, roll on another week. Monday mornings, mundane job and tasks. Eat, work, tweet, graft, sleep, repeat. Late nights, early nights, keeping balance right. Dinner, dishes, washing, bed, bath, morning light. Concentrating hard, throwing myself in. Lift my given hands to work and losing touch with what's within. Each day, a gentle numbing. Sunday. Gathered church. Gathered people. Gather myself to worship. Lift my heart. Head up. Breathe deep. Invite you into the week. Lift my given hands to work and touching heaven as I do. Lift my hands to work and work's an instrument of praise. Your abiding presence filling up my days. Turn my eyes to you and your delight compels my tasks. Lift my heart to worship. Lift my heart to bask in your warmth. Even in busyness, I'm stilled in you. When scattered, you're with us. And we are in you. Our God is worthy of praise every day. And secondly, we see that our God is the generational God. Have a look with me at verses four to eight. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Now, if you and I had been living in ancient Israel, then the kind of things that would be, have been springing to our mind when we read those verses, God's mighty acts, well, it would have been the Exodus, when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. That's the, the series we've embarked on at the 7 p.m., and God willing, we'll, we'll pick that series up again next week. And in the centuries after those events, when God's people lived in the land of Israel, they passed on the memories and the meaning of those events, of how they were God's treasured possession, how they belonged to him, how they'd been rescued by him, of what it meant to, to live for their God. And almost every nation, every people group shares stories from their history down through the generations of events from the past that were were foundational to a people's story or of magnificent achievements that were in the past. And for Israelite families, that's what they had to pass on, the splendor of their God, his wonderful works. And that message has been passed on and fulfilled in Jesus Christ right down through the generations and all over the world so it's that this evening here in Nottingham, 
There are people gathering together from all nations and all generations to know too that we belong to this God. And as has always been the case, the prayers and the words of one generation brings life and blessing to the next generation and the next. Just this last week, the, uh, the oldest person in our church went to be with the Lord. John uh, died this week. And the youngest uh, is just a few weeks old. <laughs> From young to old. And you know, uh, when, if, you, if anybody here went to see John, who went to be with the Lord just this week, if you visited him, he's not been able to come here since January time, probably, physically, just watched online. If you went to visit him, he would always want to know what was happening at Cornerstone. What was happening? How was it going? What was the Lord doing? And he embodied, really, that passing on through the generations of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. That we've all seen a, a, a rescue even greater than the rescue from slavery in Egypt, being rescued by Jesus from our slavery to sin. And it's a real privilege to be part of a church where there are people from young to old. And I don't know where on that spectrum you might count yourself, but it's great if you, if you feel like you might be in the, well, wherever you are really, it's wonderful to learn from those from older saints who have walked with the Lord's, walked with the Lord for decades, who have been able to say every day, "I will praise you." This morning, I was preaching at New Whitemore Baptist Church, which is a church that, that we're helping to. It's a small Baptist church in another part of the city that we're helping to support, and I've sent a team there. And I was preaching there this morning, and uh, there's a man in the in that church who's uh, who's turned 100 this year. And it was the first time he'd been able to come to church for a couple of months because of ill health. And to hear him in the service say, praise the Lord. He was so thankful to be there. So thankful to be gathered amongst God's people. And I don't know much about his life, but to hear someone who's 100, who has walked with the Lord for decades, say, I will praise you. Hallelujah. There's a richness and a depth to that. And so what do we want to talk about with the next generation? Or what do we want to hear from the generations who are older than us? We want to hear most of all about the heritage we share in Christ and the goodness of God. You know, I think many people assume that those in the younger generations have turned or would turn away from faith in Jesus. And there's lots of thinking that's happening uh, about that and what to do about that, if that is indeed the case. Well, the Gospel Coalition is an organization that's based in the United States, and they ran an essay competition a few months back. And they invited people from Generation Z, uh, or Gen Z, depending on how you say it, but I'm just going to say Gen Z, because I'm, that's how I pronounce it. If you think it should be pronounced Gen Z, then, well, there we go. <clears throat> I'm 42, I'm just going to say Gen Z. And they invited people to write about various topics, but their response was revealing. So listen to this, the quote will be on screen. The most selected topic by far was the prompt, why I love my local church. In a time when church attendance among Gen Z is waning, 
Nearly one-third of entrants chose to describe the beauty of, of the congregations where they worship every Sunday. And the overwhelming majority of those essays focused not on polished programs or splashy events, but on ordinary people in ordinary churches who show up each Sunday, who love Christ sincerely, who greet young people by name and take an interest in their lives. And that really struck me. For those of us wondering how we can spiritually engage Gen Z, then that might be the surprisingly simple answer. Being ordinary people in ordinary churches who show up each Sunday, who love Christ sincerely, who greet young people by name and who take an interest in their lives. And who, who can, who, in whose lives it can be seen through thick and thin, I will praise the Lord. And at a slightly older level, I love that our Fruitful Faith in Later Life group is having lunch with our 20s and 30s group next Sunday. Uh, do contact the office if you'd like to sign up for that. I can't go because obviously I miss, I miss out. I fall between those two stools, so I can't go. And I've mentioned before, I think, that I, I did, you, you'll see that our, uh, our, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ in Nottingham, all nations, and the next generation. And I did think, I genuinely thought about changing that to Nottingham, all nations, and all generations. And that would be, that would be biblically true, that would be a good thing to do, and it is, uh, that, that would be great. But I decided to keep that emphasis on the next generation, and that's not just because it would ruin the alliteration if I changed it. It, it would, but, but I'd get over that, just about. But I thought it was important to keep that emphasis, as it's shown in this psalm, on, on, of one generation passing on the good news to the next. And that was a big part of us coming here to this building. And we've been explaining over recent weeks how we really believe that God is inviting us to be part of raising up next generations of leaders. We've spoken about our ministry development scheme that we have a couple of people appointed to at the moment, David and Ailey, and we're hoping to add to that number in the coming years. Raising up men and women who are gonna be able to take on significant responsibilities on the staff teams of churches here and elsewhere in the future. And other people who are emerging into leadership leading small groups, leading, taking significant weight in, in leading in ministries in the church. And some of you will have been on our Emerging Leaders scheme so far. But more widely than the church, we want to invest in Christians who will lead in communities, in workplaces, in the government, and so on. And my sense is of a call to, to raise fresh generations of Daniels, of Esthers, of Josiahs, those godly men and women of the Old Testament from whom we can learn, from whom pointers, who, who, who pointers to Christ. And we're really excited about this as a leadership. You know, even just in this room tonight, a relatively small proportion of the overall church here, even in just this room, there's so much potential for God's kingdom. And if we, get, if we had a glimpse of what the Lord might do in the next 10, 20 years, with many of your lives sitting here tonight, then I think we'd be overwhelmed. What might the Lord do? 
Our God is a generational God. And then we see thirdly that our God's kingdom extends to all people and endures through all generations. Let's read verses 9 to 13. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Do you see how the Lord's kingdom extends and endures, and it outlasts all other kingdoms? And we have to remember that when we see nations raging and kingdoms rising and falling. And God's kingdom extends not just to the next generation, but to all people. And then we see in the following verses that our God provides. God created the rhythms, the patterns, the seasons in our world. It's his faithfulness that gives the world stability, even in a fallen and fractured world. And before we read these next verses, remember that even in the ancient world, it was made up of people who who lived far closer to the harsher side of life than most of us do. Even they were able to praise God for his provision, verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Our God provides food and everything else in our lives. Now, of course, tragically, human evil and greed results in some people not having enough food around the world. So we need to be generous people. We have a role to play in meeting need. And we will only be a generous people if we're following our generous God. See what you make of this quote. We who are God's people need to be quite deliberate in our practice of thanksgiving. The simplest way to do that is by saying grace before and after our daily meals. By those prayers, we acknowledge that God the Father provides us with our daily bread and we receive it with thanksgiving. Nothing else is more appropriate than that. Nothing else is better for our bodies and more countercultural than that. And as we thank God the Father for our daily bread and and every good and perfect gift, we come to appreciate them and become more aware of God's hand in our physical lives and in the world around us. Thanksgiving attunes us and our bodies to God's daily provision for us. As part of my preparation for preaching on this psalm over these last few weeks, I listened to a sermon by our former senior pastor, Peter Lewis. He's with the Lord now. He, he, he died a year and a half ago. And Peter preached, this, uh, Peter preached on this psalm in uh, May 2010. Before we came to this building, we were meeting in, in a school. And listening to that was, was very moving for lots of reasons. This building only existed on drawings at that point. 
but our God provides. And the Lord's provision since then, even just in those last 13 years, has been overwhelming. And I'm going to share a little bit of that story now. Because after we moved here to these facilities in 2012, the Lord blessed us with more and more people coming. And eventually we sensed the Lord's invitation to us to start a new church in the west of the city. And so in 2017, Redeemer Church began. And we sent quite a big number of people there. We sent 80 adults, 30, 40 children, something like that. And at the time, that felt like a lot of people to send. It was at the, very much at the upper end of what we thought was doable uh, in order for, for Cornerstone here to remain thriving. And we thought about it and we, we prayed. And then we were given a prophetic word a word which the elders weighed and then we shared with the church. And the prophetic word was that the flour and the oil will not run out. The flour and the oil will not run out. Now the original context for that phrase is in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 17. The Lord through his prophet Elijah promises a widow and her son that, that she'll be provided flour and oil to, to make bread in obedience to the Lord. And for us, that prophetic word gave us the courage to step forward in obedience to the Lord in, in planting Redeemer Church, trusting that even though we were sending a lot of people, the Lord would bring new people to come to Cornerstone to be, as it were, the flour and the oil. Now, that was six years ago. A few weeks ago, uh, the elders and, st and most of the staff team, or many of the staff team from our church, we had an away day. We actually met at Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church had been provided with a building now, the old town hall in Beeston. God's provided them that, that building, which is a whole other story of God's provision. And actually, Redeemer are now welcoming up to 300 people each Sunday morning. They've had to borrow some of our chairs in order to be able to give everyone a seat. And in those same years here, God has provided the oil and the flour. Some of you here today, if you don't mind me saying, are the flour and the oil the fulfillment of that promise to us? Then in 2020, we were given faith to grow, to move from having two services to three services in a day. Across our morning services, we're welcoming 100 people more than we were this time last year in, at 7 p.m. It's about 10 people more, something like that. So God keeps bringing the flour and the oil. Our God provides, and he invites us to make bread. God is providing the people, and, and we trust that he will provide all of the, the finances that are needed too. I came across this quote, which I loved. Um, the author that I got it from thinks it's from Augustine, but is not sure, so it might be. God does not ask us to tell him our needs that he may learn about them, but in order that we may be capable of receiving what he is preparing to give. God does not ask us to tell him our needs that he may learn about them, but in order that we may be capable of receiving what he is preparing to give.
And we believe that the Lord has brought and is continuing to bring the people and inviting us to be all that he's part of in people and as we respond in giving our lives and giving something of our finances. We estimate that our monthly giving will need to climb by around £15,000 a month if we are able to be fully part of all the Lord is inviting us to do. And I know that seems like a, a big number. But if 50 people give £200 a month, 30 people give £150 a month, five people give £50 a month, and 25 people give £10 a month, then we'd be well on the way there. And if you are already giving financially, and you're committed to the life of the church at Cornerstone, then thank you. I really want, do want to say thank you, especially in this difficult economic climate. I, d- I don't know who, who, who gives or, and, and, and who gives what. I have no idea. But I want to say thank you. And please do continue if you're able to. Some of you may even be in a position to increase that giving or able to give a one-off gift. And if you're not get giving financially and you're part of this church, please could you consider beginning to give regularly, even if uh, the amount seems small to you to begin with. There'll be some uh, links on the screen in a moment. You see, God provides through his people. The flour and the oil will not run out, and, and we're invited to, as it were, make bread in obedience to the Lord. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s, and my mum and dad read this book with me. It's called Thank You for a Loaf of Bread. I've managed to get hold of This isn't the copy I had when I was a child, but uh, this is called Thank You for a Loaf of Bread. And it tells the story of Mark. Now, that's not me, although my fashion sense was quite similar in the 80s and hasn't improved much since. But it tells the story of Mark, and Mark went to the shop to buy a loaf of bread. And he says, thank you, shopkeeper, for my loaf of bread. Well, don't thank me, says the shopkeeper. I only kept the bread until you bought it. You must thank the one who gave me the bread. So Mark went to say thank you to the delivery driver. Well, don't thank me, the delivery driver said. I only took the bread in my van to the shop. You must thank the ones who baked it. So Mark went to the bakers. Thank you, bakers, for my loaf of bread. Don't thank us, said the bakers. We only bake the bread from the flour. You must thank the ones who gave us the flour. So Mark went to say thank you to the millers, who said a similar thing. Then to the grain carriers, who said a similar thing. Then to those making the grain store, and then the farmer, and then the soil, and the sun, and the rain. And eventually, Mark comes to say thank you to God. And he prays, thank you, God, for making the soil, the rain, and the sun and for the seeds that grow. Thank you, God, for helping people make the grain store. And thank you for the carriers and for the millers. Thank you for the bakers and the delivery man and the shopkeeper. Thank you, God, for my loaf of bread. That's a very simple book that my parents read with me. But do you know what? Decades on, I still remember it. And what I love about this book is that it shows, us our, it shows us our role as creatures and God's role as creator. 
So yes, he's the source and we thank him. And yet, did you see how amazingly, wonderfully he gives us as human beings, those made in his image, given the responsibility of stewarding this world and its resources. He gives us very significant responsibilities. The farmers, the grain carriers, the delivery drivers, the shopkeepers. Do you see how it brings us back to how we began this, this talk tonight? Worshipping God in our jobs in our purposeful vocation, in whatever it is we're doing throughout the week. Back to where we started. Every day I will praise you. God invites us to be part of what he's doing. Our God provides and our God invites. And all creatures are called to praise in a sense, but only... Only us as human beings can give voice to that worship. Only human beings can speak our praise to the God who's spoken to us. Verse 21, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So we speak our praise to the God who has spoken to us. And he has spoken to us most clearly in his son, Jesus Christ, the word and the bread of life.